So Money Episode 920, Ask Farnoosh, a replay. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Happy Friday, March 2nd. It is the day before my daughter turns one. So happy early birthday to Colette. We're all really excited. We can't believe it's been a year already. We're heading out to Pennsylvania this weekend to celebrate with uh, some grandparents and cousins. And uh, I did a very So Money thing, which is that, you know, uh, well... On the one hand, putting a party together for a one-year-old, it should not cost a lot of money. You really should not go above and beyond. And that said, our family is pretty big. Um, Tim's family, you know, it's like 30 people and they're all over and there's not really one home that we can all meet at. So we did spend a little bit on the location, but everything else I really kind of went uh, simple. The decorations are framed, adorable pictures of her. And we got some balloons, which are not expensive. And, and then the flowers, get this, I found a site online where you can order flowers wholesale. And I just did that, um, sent them to my mother-in-law's house. <laughs> they should be getting there today. Hopefully they're in good condition. And then I was going to just hop over to Michael's or um, Ikea and pick up some really um, tasteful, simple, easy, cheap uh, vases and just uh, put them together the night before or the morning of. And um, and there you have it, you know. So we uh, saved a lot on flowers. And, you know, honestly, none of this is really important. I just want good pictures, to be honest. <laughs> I want people – plus people are coming from a bit of a distance. I want them to feel like, you know, it was, a, it was a worthwhile afternoon spent. Of course, any afternoon spent with Colette is worth every second. But uh, anyway, just a little so money moment of uh, of the week for me. And another so money moment is really in introducing our co-host today, Erica Gellerman. So I'm going to brag about her for a little bit. She and I actually first connected way back when I first launched this podcast. She was an avid listener. And if you remember, if you were with me all those years ago, back since I guess 2015, in order to kind of get uh, people excited about the show and to connect with listeners, I was offering free 15-minute money sessions to some listeners. And she she got one session and we chatted and she had some career questions and sort of this, – remember, this was like over – maybe not at this point, three years ago, she was looking at – kind of changing her career path. She really was interested in personal finance. I gave her some advice. Fast forward to today, she's left the corporate world. She's launched her own site. She has her own personal brand. I want to have her talk all about it because it's super relevant to us and our interests. Erica Gellerman, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much, Farnoosh. I'm so excited to be here chatting with you today. I am too. I have to say, I'm, I'm very proud of what you've built for yourself. And if I had anything to do with it, I will take the credit. <laughs> you did. I I kid you not, from that 15-minute money call, I had written nothing before, not one article. And you encouraged me to you know, submit a story. And I think my first article that you suggested was to write for Daily Worth. And I did. And from then, I just haven't stopped. And 
um, yeah, it, it all, it literally all started right from there. So I'm excited. I remember, I remember our, you're welcome. You're, you're so welcome. I mean, that, I don't think anything that I offered you was, uh, was radical or genius. It was just, maybe you just needed that, that encouragement and, and maybe you needed some specific advice, but I remember listening to you, you were not the happiest camper at your job and you had a great job, but you know, I think that you wanted more. Like a lot of us, we feel a little unfulfilled at work. We know there's more out there for us. You wanted to start writing about money. And I thought given that you were a millennial working for a really big, well-known company that you probably could share some interesting insights, advice about how you're kind of making it work for yourself, applying that to other people's, um, you know, questions. And, and so Daily Worth was the first stop, but now you've got your own online destination. Tell us about the Worth Project. I do. Yeah. So, um, it, it's come about in the last year. So I spent the first, gosh, I don't know, year and a half just freelancing and contributing and writing everywhere that I could. So Daily Worth, Forbes, and then I, and then I was, and I was, I was <laughs> millennial women websites um, that I really loved and admired, like the every girl. And then I, I just decided, you know, I just wanted to write more and more and more. And I just kept having more things to say. So I decided to start the Worth Project. And it was really targeted at women who I felt like were, you know, my peers who were looking for the same type of very relevant advice that was, you know, smart and would help them enjoy the money they have right now while also planning for the future. And so not just always looking at retirement, but looking at how else we can use our money today and make smart choices to make sure that we have a really long and happy financial life. So Uh, can I just also say that's all amazing. And I just want to also say what's super cool about Erica, everybody, is that she's originally from California and lives in London and spends (laughs) her time exploring Europe with her husband and her and her dog. And uh, how can you make, how, do, how is your husband from the UK? How are you making that this expensive city work for you? Oh my God. Um, it, it, it was a shock. So it was definitely a shock. So we were moving from Los Angeles, which is also not a cheap city. And we're originally from San Francisco, also another not cheap city, but coming to London was just uh, a whole new game. You know, I think when we moved here, the dollar or um, it, one pound equaled $1.75. So going out to get a hamburger was like completely overwhelming. Easily double. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was horrible. But uh, to be honest, I, it, my husband's not from the UK. We're both from the US. And so we both went through that learning experience together of figuring out how to take, you know, the same amount of income that we had in the US and then less income when I left my corporate job and was trying to string together freelance jobs and make that work. Um, it made us get really, really intentional with how we were using our money. We didn't want to give up traveling, but we also didn't want to stop saving and stop saving for retirement. And so it, it just made us become really disciplined and really, you know, kind of diligent about spending money on the things that made us the happiest and not spending on like the little impulse buys. And that just made a huge, huge difference in our money. 
your expertise is, can I say, it's probably on like negotiating too, right? Helping women advance financially at work. None of our questions today concern this. Unusual because usually there's at least one question from the audience about raises or negotiating or um, moving jobs. But while we have you, what is your best advice for women who want to earn their worth and you say that you don't give this traditional like cookie cutter advice. So take it away. I would say this is coming from someone who was literally the worst person at negotiating. I would turn red, I would get queasy and I would avoid it at all costs. But I really had to learn how to negotiate. And I would say the biggest thing, the biggest turning point for me was actually practicing out loud and with other people. And I still do this to this day. And I think it's the best way for you to get confident in the words that are coming out of your mouth, right? Because we may plan in our head, you know, what we're going to say. And as soon as we sit in that seat and stare at the person across from us and you need to ask for something, the words might just come out a little bit jumbled. So that is the biggest piece of advice that I have for anyone is to sit down, even if you don't have anyone to practice with, to look in a mirror and just practice what you're going to say. We, My husband and I actually just negotiated our rent with our landlord. And still, even I've done this so many times. And even before our landlord came over, I sat down with my husband and I was like, all right, let me help, you know, practice with me. Here's what I'm going to say. And we ran a mock negotiation right there and it went perfectly. What was your new rent? How much did you save? (laughs) He saved uh, about 10%. Not bad. So it was significant. Yes. Definitely great. You're totally right because how you imagine one thing going in your head is, is very different than how sometimes it plays out in real life. And just being able to, uh, exercise your your muscles a little bit, get your muscles warmed up in your mouth and um, to know the words, your catch words, your comfort words, you know, your go-to phrases to, to get you uh, continue to help you stay on the right path, right? So that you don't start delineating from what it is that you actually are there to negotiate. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great piece of advice. Okay. So our first question here today comes from Becca and her question is about investing. It's a speak pipe question for those of you who are like, what is that? That is a voice message uh, service that I have on my website at somanypodcast.com. If you'd like to leave an audio question, we more than encourage that because it's nice to hear your voice just like you hear my voice. And this is Becca's question on investing. Let's, let's hit play. Hi, Farnoosh. My question today is on the topic of investing. My husband and I are both 34 years old and we have three children. We've worked really hard the last few years and have been able to pay off all of our debt with the exception of our mortgage. But we do live under our means and have a beautiful but very modest and affordable home. Uh, We do have two savings accounts, one emergency fund with $1,000 in it and another savings account with enough money to cover us for six months if something were to happen to either of our jobs. As far as investing goes, we currently have $120,000 in our 401ks, and we opened up an IRA a few years ago, which has a net value of $7,000. And we contribute roughly 15% of our income to both of those accounts. We also have 529s for all three of our children, and we're able to put in about $1,000 every year per child. So my question is, when we have a little extra money at the end of the month, where should we be putting it? I'm very new to investing and I didn't know if there were other areas we should be putting money into besides our 401ks, IRA, and 529s. 
we live a very happy and comfortable life. And at the current time, we don't have any big money goals. We just want to make sure that we make our money work for us while we're still young-ish and can take advantage of compound interest. So we'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Farnoosh. All right. So... She wants to know about um, where to be putting this a little bit of extra money that they have at the end of the month. Um, they've got a lot going on. Two, you know, working parents, three children. I don't. Do you have any children? In four weeks, I should. <gasps> what? You buried the lead. I know I did. You, my goodness, congratulations. I wasn't expecting that answer. I just thought, well, let me let me take a chance here and see. I mean, chances are probably not. What? Oh my yeah, goodness, that's yeah. wonderful news. And here I am talking about my daughter. Um nope, I love here I loved hearing that. It makes me so excited. I'm so happy for you. How how has it, the pregnancy been for you? Um, just fantastic. So hopefully the last four go the same way. Um, well, so maybe you'll like to hear my answer to this question. Um, well, have you guys started to save for anything baby related? We have a 529 set up. Um, and I, this is aggressive, I guess, or maybe not. Um, as soon as we found out we were pregnant, I opened up a savings account for childcare. And so we have that all set and ready to go to get us through the first year. That's, um, that's good. That's, you know, you can put up a 529 before the kid arrives. Yes, we have. And it's, so it's in my name and then we'll. Yeah. You'll just transfer the beneficiary. Yes. That's, that's a great idea. I know Like, isn't it sad that we have to start before? I mean, we don't have to, but if you can, why not? I'm kicking myself. I'm like, why didn't we start this five years ago when we got married? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, so for Becca, it sounds like they're doing a lot of the right moves. They are saving in the right buckets. They're maximizing uh, their – they've already got the six-month savings cushion. With three kids, I would love for that to be closer to nine, maybe a year. Um, because it's, that's a lot of mouths to feed. And I, I, I do think that, um, if you, one of you lost your jobs or had to leave the workforce, you could get back in within six months if the market like holds up like it is. But I think that for me, you know, I only have two kids. We, I want to make sure that our bases are covered for a year in case I, for some reason, can't get myself to work. My husband loses his job. Um, all those worst case scenarios, if they ever came to f- came to life, we would want to be able to have peace of mind for a year. So uh, I would say that unless you feel like, here's the other thing, $120,000 in 401ks is sounds like a lot of money, but it all is relevant. So I want you to first run some numbers. There are online calculators out there, choose to save.org, aarp.org, bankrate.com, nerdwallet.com. All of these sites have a, a host of calculators and find the retirement calculator, start putting in some numbers, including how much you've saved, how much social security you're about to, you would get presumably at retirement, uh, things like uh, what your um, debt levels might be. Will you have a mortgage? Will you not have a mortgage? And see if you're at the right in the right ballpark. Is $120,000 where you should be right now, given all of the things that you want to accomplish in retirement? Where are you going to live? How are you going to downsize? So uh, six figures, I mean, that sounds substantial to me. But I, again, I don't know. I don't know um, 
you know, if it's going to be enough for you also depending on when you want to retire. So if that, if you, if, if you do the numbers, crunch the numbers and you find that you are in a safe zone, then I think the next place is savings just to put a little bit more into savings so that you get closer to a nine month reserve. Um, a thousand dollars every year per child for college is great. I don't think it's going to pay for, uh, any school they want full ride. But then again, that may not be your goal and it doesn't have to be your goal. Some parents just want to pay for a fraction and have their their kids chip in the rest or they're just got their um, minds wrapped around state school. So if you feel like that's also on target, depending on your goals, then that's taken care of. So I would say, again, savings. I keep going back to the savings bucket. Uh, closer to nine months would be, for me, I would feel better about that. How about you, Erica? I think that's such a great point about savings. And to be honest, I didn't even think about beefing up your savings when you have three kids. Um, The thing that stuck out to me with this was um, they have $7,000 in an IRA, which they opened a few years ago. And that that to me seems like if they have extra money left over, uh, you know, and they do need to start contributing a little bit more to their retirement base if, if if that's what it sounds like from the calculators, um, then a great place would be looking at maybe maximizing what they're contributing to their IRA. Yes. And if Um, it's a Roth IRA, that could be a great way to diversify your tax exposure in retirement because it works a little bit, it works differently than a 401k as far as the taxes. Um, Another thing I thought about was perhaps life insurance if they don't have it yet. They may already get that through work, but it may not be enough. So also if I was, you know, doing a holistic financial plan for them as parents, as working parents, I would say also make sure your life insurance bucket is satisfied because uh, at least, you know, good term policy until your kids turn 18 or finish college would be, would be great for each parent. All right. Are we good with that one? That sounds good. All right, Erica, let's move on to Matt. Also a voicemail. Love it. I love that you guys are using the technology on the site. It's not for nothing. Matt has a question about his car lease. Let's hear what he has to say. Hi, Farnoosh. My name is Matt. I'm 26 years old. I'm currently 10 months into a 48-month car lease on the 2018 Kia Soul. I recently realized my significantly burdensome financial mistake, and I'm looking to get out of the lease early at 12 months and purchase a certified pre-owned vehicle. My question is, assuming I have the cash to do what I previously stated, is it more financially wise to terminate my lease early or to use the extra cash on hand that would have paid for a certified premium vehicle to contribute towards my diversified investment for portfolio, mostly my Roth IRA, Roth 401k, and mostly ETFs? Thanks, Ranush. Really appreciate the help. All right. Matt wants to terminate his lease. It's it's never fun having a car loan. Let's be honest. The car is a depreciating asset. I always advocate for paying in cash. But even recently, I took on a car loan because the interest rates were so low. But I, 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 Matt, I think the first thing he might want to do is to look at the fine print in his car lease. What are the implications of terminating it? Go back to the lender 
in some cases, that's the, the car financing company or it could be the bank and just ask about what could be his options for getting out of the lease, given that he's maybe not happy with the car, wants a different car that's more, has a more affordable monthly payment. But car leases are pretty hard to get out of. At the end of the day, you have to make the payment to get out of it. And so what do you have to do? You have to sell the car. It may not be worth as much as what you paid for it, even if you just bought it. Have you ever had to deal with a car lease before? I haven't, but I've had some friends that have dealt with car leases before. And I know that it can be a lot of money to actually break the lease. Um, some leases do have early buyout options that still come with fees. Um, but you know, it's a matter of kind of doing the math is, is the market value of this car, if you take the early buyout option, can you then sell it, you know, for less than what you're buying it for? And then that might be a good option. Right. Um, well, and to his question, he actually, I didn't, I didn't address this part of his question yet, which is like, should he take the extra cash that he has on hand to purchase a certified pre-owned vehicle or towards his investment portfolio, his Roth IRA, Roth 401k, ETFs. I mean, I don't know anything about your um, retirement situation. I don't know how much you have saved, how well you saved any of your retirement plans. But I think that the answer should be obvious to Matt once he kind of sits down and takes a really hard look at how much he has actually saved for retirement. Does he feel good about it? And to him, what is more important having the car that he wants or having the retirement that he wants. Yeah. I think there's, uh, there's some, you know, math to be done. And then also some like deep thinking, just like you said, like what, what's most important right yeah. now. But first step, Matt, go back and talk to your lender about your options. Um, maybe in the meantime, find a car that you like, that you would like to consider having instead of this current uh, this current lease, um, but also like, you know, we mentioned, Eric mentioned, run the numbers and see if your retirement savings is on track. Okay. Leah says, we are considering renting out our basement. I love that. I thought the other day, I would really love to have a have an Airbnb property that I could, you know, rent out. I just love, I, I just love having that responsibility of like furnishing a place and outfitting it. And so, but she says, what are the risks to consider any insurance needs? Uh, we think we can rent it for a thousand dollars a month. We have two kids. Would you ever do this? I would absolutely, of course. And then we actually also have a um, house that we rent out back in the Bay area too. So it is a lot of work though. I will say being a landlord a is not easy. And she you know, I love it. She's, she's right to ask about insurance. I mean, I know that in my life, and I'm sure with you, you know this, as, as renters, you need renter's insurance. Yeah. So your tenant, Leah, should you should make it a requirement that they get their own renter's insurance. <clears throat> and so you obviously will have home insurance, but it will probably cover your belongings and not necessarily your tenant's belongings. Now, I'm not sure th what the division is with this basement and your home. Is it like a legal two family? Um, is it just a basement that you want to kind of on the side sublet? In that case, I'm not really sure what the, you know, the, the leasing laws are like. Um, it, I, I don't know. Again, this is stuff that is a little bit um, out of my 
knowledge base, but I when we're talking about like insurance and you know real estate laws, but maybe you want to talk to um, anyone else in your neighborhood who's doing this and ask about like what what were some of the protocols, what sort of for- structures did they set up? Talk to your existing home insurer and say, you know, we have this finished basement. Um, describe it. Does this person, will this person have their own entrance? Will they be coming through your entrance? That all might change the way you need to set up the insurance policy. Um, so if it's not technically a legal like entity home on its own with its own entrance, partitions, you know, all of that. It's not like I know in New York, you know, there's, there's such a thing called a multifamily home and that you can rent out and you'd have to get your own, your tenant gets his or her own renter's insurance. You get your homeowner's insurance and you divide and conquer it that way. It's really easy. But when it's a little more of a gray area and you're just kind of like renting out essentially a room in your house and not its own address per se, then I think that as the owner, you may have to take on a lot more liability. That's my guess. Does I was that, just about to say, yeah, yeah. we um, ended up needing to get a personal liability policy um, to cover our rental property, which was, you know, it's it's just nice peace of mind to have. So that might be something that her insurer might recommend to her. Yes. Anything you can do to keep your insurance costs the same, not significantly more is, is the key, is the key, right? But also you want to make sure that everyone's properly protected. Um, and that, that you're very transparent with whoever, you know, sublets from you or it becomes a tenant that, uh, you know, if there is ever a burglary, if there is ever a fire, if there is ever a flood, you know, who's responsible, what gets covered, what doesn't get covered. Because right now it's not clear. You would have to investigate. And because I don't know the construction of your home, uh, I would be, I'm not that certain about like what is your responsibility versus the tenant's responsibility. But I love the extra money. I love the extra money that's going to be coming in, um, $1,000 a month. What would you do with $1,000 extra a month? Um, God, I don't know. Put it towards our vacation fund <laughs> right vacation now. Fund? Yeah. $12,000 um, a year. Oh, I, I think I would I think invest it, be, it. I think I would just invest yeah. it. Just I do have to... I have to be the annoying person over here, though. And just a reminder, though, is that $1,000 will still be taxed. So that's true. That's true. But it's still amazing. It's still great. Yeah. And if if they're netting that, well, again, I don't know. They said that's, that's what they could rent it for. I guess that could help to pay off the mortgage, too. Oh, yeah, that's there probably you go. a really you could good. Use that towards the principal. So that is kind of like investing yeah. it. You're reinvesting it back into your home. You can get become mortgage free a lot sooner. All right, we're we're uh, fantasizing a little too much for Leah here. Leah, good luck, and let me know. I'm actually really interested in how this all shakes out for you. So follow up, please, and let us know what you find out. All right, two more questions. Arun, you want to take this away for us? Sure. Um, so after saving enough for an emergency fund, should the rest of savings be put back into investing? I would want the money to be put to work. Yeah, put to work. Well, yeah. yeah, I think investing though can mean anything, right? It doesn't just mean investing in the stock market. I think that 
let's be a little more open-minded here, right? If, if you have extra money to spare every month, depending on who you are and what your goals are and where you are currently with things like retirement savings or investing, you may find that, you know, I'm, I'm good putting my money in the stock market. I want to maybe now invest in my own education. I want to invest in my own enrichment. I want to invest in my home. I want to maybe upgrade my kitchen. I want to, uh, gosh, who knows, like put more money towards college for my kids. So I think that, and those are all valid ways to put your money to work. So I'm not going to say you have to do one thing or the other, but I do like the broad sense of, you know, the broad idea of investing in something where you're going to get a return, whether that's a return on your own happiness, your, your, your fulfillment, your, um, your home's uh, value, your children's education, your, you know, so uh, that's, that's where my answer goes. Yeah, I would, uh, to me, it just popped out like, well, what are your, what are your goals in the next couple of years? Because I think that's so important, um, you know, thinking about exactly what you want to be investing in, like you said, like a home, or maybe it's saving up for a home or, you know, just there are so many options to consider and so many different ways to invest that it just jumped out to me like it might be time to kind of sit down and think about what your, you know, short to midterm goals are. That's a good point. Yeah. And reverse engineer it. Think about your goals and then reverse engineer yeah. it. All right. And lastly, Sarah, also, let's, let us know what's on our money mind, Erica. All right. So I'm really jealous of Sarah. I have to say. Um, So my husband and I will be quitting our jobs around November 2018 to travel globally for a year. Aside from savings and insurance, what should we consider? So jealous. Oh, yeah. It's good. Good for them. Good for you, Sarah. I'm giving you a high five over here from Brooklyn. I know. I can't believe it. Well... Saving and insurance is one thing for sure when you're just going to be traveling globally, but also your expenses while you're living abroad, your housing, your, your, uh, your flights, your food, um, there's your health insurance, but also your travel insurance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Travel insurance will be big. Travel insurance can be really big. And, um, one thing that I've learned from, I've never thankfully had to deal with this, but we had friends over here who had international health insurance and it was really important. They got into a situation where they needed to be airlifted out of a country. So knowing the evacuation coverage for whatever insurance you do pick, wow, because you're not, yeah, because you never know where you're going to be. Um, and you might need to be airlifted to someplace that has better, better medical treatment. Right. And speak, and that's, that's an important thing to, uh, kind of scope out before you go into a foreign country is kind of know what, what, in the event that you had to go to an emergency room or, you know, gosh, get even a prescription for like an infection or something. What, what is the protocol? And if you buy insurance in the States, how does that translate, if at all, overseas? Probably wouldn't. Um, but, you know, what – so I would say talk to people you know who've been in those countries, who live there, who might be expats, who can give you a little bit of guidance around the whole insurance scenario and hospitals and medical medical um, attention and all of that. Because while we don't want you to have any run-ins with 
needing any prescriptions or any kind of surgery or operation or appointments while you're traveling abroad. Hopefully you'll have a, you know, a healthy, happy year of travel. But I think that it's just important to take a little bit of time now to do that kind of investigating so that if that kind of a scenario pops up, you can do it. Um, you can do it well. You'll know how to navigate. Timing is, timing is important. If you need medical attention quickly, you want to know where are the best hospitals, where are the best doctors, and where are you going to get the most, the best care, but also the most affordable care, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and also make a note of whatever credit cards you have. A lot of credit yeah. cards also have insurance benefits like that, that will, you know, help you out in whatever situation. So having those, you know, at the, you know, tip of your fingertips that, so that you can kind of rely on it to look back and say, okay, you know, this is available to us through Visa or, you know, whatever credit card it is. Um, speaking of credit really cards, helps. tell all your financial banks, credit cards, institutions that you will be abroad. Because oh, yeah. once you start spending abroad, uh, in the beginning, if they don't know, they may think that it's a fraud, a fraudulent activity or something, and you could get your accounts frozen, and that takes that could take some time to unfreeze, and that's just a hiccup that you can totally avoid by just letting them know your whereabouts. It, it, I've had that problem yeah. before, so it's not fun. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, does happen. Awesome. Erica, does. tell us how we can learn more about you and access all the great information you have for our listeners about money and negotiating. Yes. Come visit me at theworthproject.co. Um, and over there I have a great blog. I have a Friday weekend newsletter called the weekend buzz. Um, and it's actually, it's, surprisingly fun for a newsletter about money. So you don't have to sell me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was skeptical. I didn't think people would really want to sign up for a newsletter about money, but it's the thing I get the best feedback for. So I'll take it. Well, keep at it. Feedback is good and keep asking for feedback. It's the best way to just keep tinkering with your, what with your site and your blog. And, um, I'm just so happy that we've been able to reconnect and thank you for all the great advice that you shared for our listeners, Becca, Matt, Leah, Arun, Sarah. I hope that we were helpful. I know that we didn't have all the answers, but hopefully we gave you a running start. And as always, I always want to know how things pan out. So uh, let us know. Keep us informed. You can always go to somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh. There you can stay in touch with me, ask a question. Um, let me know you want to co-host. Also, as you know, I'm having a lot of fun on Instagram these days, been uh, taking more, just doing more on the platform and sharing more and actually connecting with you guys on the platform. We've been direct messaging. I'm very accessible on Instagram to those who are nice. You you are. And you've been crushing it on Instagram. I have to say you are very fun to follow. Thank you. I will say that if you're creepy, I will block you. It has happened. (laughs) As you should. (laughs) I've had to block a couple of people. Um, Whether they meant to be creepy or not, I want to feel safe at all times. That's smart. (laughs) (laughs) These days. I'm sorry. Um, No, really. On that note, everybody, hope you have a great weekend. More details to come on Colette's birthday next week. And in the meantime, I hope you're weekend is so money. 